0: Welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian Women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. For this Bible study, we're going to be learning about judging others, mercy, and fresh starts. To do that, we're going to be leaning into the perspective of an unnamed woman found in the Gospel of John. But first, let me check in on you. Where are you at emotionally, spiritually, or physically? Are you tired, defeated, going through emotions? Where are you at? What I hope is that you're content and filled with joy and have peace. But even if you're not, I'm glad that you're here in this moment, ready to be encouraged and refreshed and strengthened by having the word of God poured into you. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active. It's like water for the thirsty. And let's face it, most of us are a little dehydrated, if not a lot. So let's drink up starting in John chapter eight, verses one through six. It says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So Jesus, he's in the middle of teaching when these teachers of the law bring in a woman who had committed adultery. Why did they do this? Their lawful reason? In Jewish law, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, when people commit adultery, both the adulterer and the adulteress were to be put to death, which is why they say the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Interesting that they didn't bring in the man with them, just the woman. So they were ignoring half of the law. But following the law wasn't their real motive anyway. Their real reason, or the real motive, was to get Jesus trapped in his response. Because as they saw it, whichever way Jesus responded, they could get the upper hand. If he agreed with the law, which is the righteous thing to do, and they stoned this woman, Jesus would be in trouble with Roman authorities, as Jews were not allowed to enact their own death penalties. Only Rome could carry out capital punishment. And also Jesus was teaching on mercy at this time and before then, and that would just make him a hypocrite in that sense as well. But if Jesus said that they should not stone her, then the Jewish leaders could, you know, quote unquote, prove that he was a blasphemer, that he didn't follow the law of God, and that he wasn't a trusted authority. So which response does Jesus choose? Well, as usual, Jesus saw another way. In verses six through 11, it continues saying this, but Jesus bent down, And started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. First, I'd like to theorize what he was writing on the ground with his finger. So there's two more well-known guesses as to what he was writing. And they may overlap since he writes before he speaks and after. So it could be technically both these things. But the first guess is that he was writing these people's names in the dust and then perhaps writing a sin that they had committed next to their name. As Jesus was someone who once told that woman at the well everything she had ever done, this isn't far-fetched. It also would give enough reasons for people to quickly disperse if they didn't wish for their secret sins to be written out in the ground. The second guess is that he was writing out the Ten Commandments on the ground with his finger, drawing a correlation to when God wrote the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets in Exodus, basically implying that since he was the author of the law, he was the one to properly interpret and execute it. Okay, so the next thing I want to focus on is Jesus's response when asked if the woman who had sinned should be stoned. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Luke 6 verses 37 through 42 reads like this. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this passage gives more color to Jesus' response and his heart for a loving, relational people, not a rigid, self-righteous people. It's not about letting everything slide and never calling out sin when you see it, but look at the context. It talks about removing a speck from your brother's eye in a familial relationship where there's permission to call one another out in love. And even with your brother, it says to focus on the plank in your own eye first. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about humility. It's about recognizing that none of us are perfect and we all need the grace of God and mercy from each other. James chapter two, verse 13 says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we forgive because Jesus forgives us. We have mercy because we were given mercy. Mercy. Deuteronomy four thirty one says, for the Lord, your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So the real question then is why do we even receive His mercy in the first place? Well, that's actually answered in first Timothy chapter one, verse 16. It says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So we receive his mercy because he is our perfect example. His mercy, and every time we imitate it, brings him glory. He's also merciful to us because he loves us as a perfect father. Malachi 3.17 says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. He loves us as a father loves his son. He loves us because we are his, and his mercy stems from his love. And his mercy and love were proven beyond any human doubt when he sacrificed his only son in exchange for our sins to be forgiven. First Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we were shown this incredible act of mercy and our response to what he has done should look like Joel chapter two, verse 13, and it says, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. It's saying, rend your hearts. And rend your hearts is... It means to feel sorrow and pain at where you were before Jesus. But then the next step is to turn towards our loving God and then start to look more like him. It means that we don't throw stones that we ourselves deserved. And this leads us back to our story from today. Jesus said to her, then neither do I condemn you. That's the same mercy offered to us. When we accept Jesus's sacrifice and believe in who he is, when we turn from who we were and look to who he is, that's when everything changes. There will come a day when the devil stands to accuse each of us and we will all have sins that would have weighed so heavy on us. Debts we could never pay. But Jesus will step in and no stones will be thrown. Debts will be canceled and we will not stand condemned because we trust in the overwhelming mercy of God. But before we move on with our day, there was one more thing Jesus told her. What were his final words after that? He said, go now and leave your life of sin. Notice that she was forgiven before she did anything. He said that she was not condemned and then this next step happened. And that's because God's mercy and grace cannot be earned. They're free gifts. But paraphrasing what Paul once said in Romans, does that mean we continue living the lives we used to? Simply answered, no. In 2 Corinthians 5 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. When the miraculous happens in our life, there should be evidence of change. Ephesians chapter four, verses 21 through 24 says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, this just puts more color to Jesus telling her to go now and leave her life of sin. Once you learn who Jesus is and you experience forgiveness, you're given a new spirit of life where before you were walking one way that led to death. Now you turn and you walk in the direction of life And because of the Holy Spirit living in you, you have a hold of the same power that lives in Jesus. This power rends your heart when you walk off of that path. It gives you the endurance to continue the way. It gives you strength to think new thoughts and change old habits. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17 reads like this. It's so good. It says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In short, we have been shown mercy, so we in turn give mercy. Jesus laid down his life for ours. So now we have the opportunity to live out this new life as new creations. We're forgiven. So we get to walk in freedom, in eager anticipation of the goodness of God in the hope of what is to come. That's everything that I have for today. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible or anything else, I'd be happy to answer as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, remember God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.